Oh, what a bummer. I Are just you finished, out? I'm out. I just finished my can and I need more. I don't know what to, what can I drink next? Well, you there's just nothing. Drinking can. There's nothing else to drink but can, Alan. True. <laughs> and with two ends. Can with two ends. Drinkcan.com. It is literally a life-changing beverage for the three hosts of this podcast. What does it do for you? What does it do to you, though? Uh, it's two milligrams of THC, Ooh. Um, and it just kind of like gives you like a very slight buzz. I As I always buzzed. say, it takes the edge off after a long day of doing nothing but reading the news. <laughs> There's no better way to unwind than can. So mm-hmm. if you would, please, for God's sake, go to drinkcan.com. <laughs> it's can with two N's uh-huh. and place an order. You can and, enter worse to get 25% off. Just and enter type worse in yeah. to get 25% off. And trust me, it will change your life. Yeah. I mean, Elliot now has bleached blonde hair. He's sitting there with his <laughs> shirt off. I mean, it has fully changed Elliot. He's a new man. That's what that's what a tiny amount of THC and CBD will do to me. <laughs> Make me a gay stereotype. <laughs> making it worse. I'm Elliot Glazer. I'm Brent Sullivan. And I'm H. Allen Scott. We're here. We're queer. Meh. Textual healing. So I um, I found an LA Times article. I wrote an article about the difficulty the pandemic has created for LGBTQIA NZ college kids. Um, at college, they are experiencing and appreciating a more, so it, so anyway, I, I literally always try to like read my notes and then I'm, I just fuck it up. So basically they're talking about the phenomenon of like kids who go off to college, they experience uh-huh. what it's like to be in, in a, in an accepting environment of their sexuality or their queerness, as Alan would say. An inclusive space. And as I would roll my eyes, no, uh, <laughs> they experienced these great things. But then, of course, the pandemic sent them back home at a yeah. really kind of, you know, um, important time in their life. And and it was there was a lot of interesting stats in this article. But they talked about they talked with a couple kids who just, you know, really felt like that they shrunk back into who they once were when they went when they had to go back home and spend the year with their parents, their <clears> unaccepting <throat> parents. Yeah. Um, they talk, there was a, they talk about a university of Maryland study where researchers discovered that 30%, um, said their families make 30% of gay kids said their families make negative comments about LGBT people, uh, during the pandemic. And 35% said they lied to their families about their identities more often. Yeah. These are like LGBTQ college kids. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a trans since last March, Trans Lifeline, a crisis hotline for transgender people, has recorded an 18% jump in calls uh, in which people talk about being rejected by their families. The number of people contacting the Trevor Project, a suicide hotline for LGBTQ youth, has doubled mm-hmm. at times the, the number of calls they've received. So I do remember thinking early on in the pandemic that it would have been a, I, I wasn't thinking through necessarily how it would affect gay youth, but thinking it would be a really shitty time to be a college student during this pandemic because you have to 
give up like what is the the four years that in which you become an adult you know mm-hmm. and go off and you know leave the home and get to be around people like-minded people and it's it's a you know it's a pretty it's a pivotal time, time in a kid's P- life pivotal yeah. time yeah so yeah. It's such a shitty year to, yeah shitty year to lose to lose so much of what should be this big you know sweeping change that challenges you and shapes i mean college for, uh, you know across the board is uh you know so it's such a it, it's where you learn to think really critically for the first time mm-hmm. and you know to do that from an from the perspective of like your identity you know that's that's what college is about so especially for like freshmen i can't imagine it being any more strange than it was for this past year and if you're yeah. if you're if you're letting college be the place where you really blossom into who you are and you're just you're just starting to discover yeah. your uh you know queer yeah who, the queer the queer element of you it's gotta be a real you know, fucking shit show it, to yeah. go backwards yeah i mean just think about me in college you know this is when i was learning to wear baggy khakis <laughs> when i was learning to to, to wear untucked button-down shirts to the out bar i mean this was a really pivotal time in my life so oh my god i yeah. can't imagine although it is i i will just to say that i was appalled by the classist nature of the article because there's obviously lots of gay people that don't go off to college and don't. Well, and also, I mean, the <clears throat> pandemic in general, across the board, I remember when all of this start, my mom had this conversation with me that sort of really just shifted my way of thinking about this isolation thing in that she was saying, I don't, because my mom and my dad, like there was a lot of abuse in that marriage. And she said to me, like literally right the week we were in lockdown here in California, she was like, I don't know what I would have done if I was with your father. Like if this happened yeah. in the eighties, if I was with him, and I couldn't go anywhere. And I was just stuck in this mm. situation that, and and for health reasons, you can't go anywhere and you can't go to yeah. work to get help. And you can't, there's, you just can't do the things that you would do. And it, it, and it impacts every aspect of society, but particularly children, because like you think of even kids who don't, their parents don't have a lot of money. And so they don't have the iPads and the computers and the high, the, the Wi-Fi right. that's good for, for distance yeah. learning. And the queer kids who, rely on sort of the the space the theater departments at schools or whatever right. the outlets that they have to be able to express themselves and it's it's just so 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 sad and the what what's so scary and and fascinating in a way to me is that the impact this past year you know will have on people 10 20 30 years from now the yeah. way because the way like the, what this article says i mean the way we identify ourselves, we ground ourselves as an adult and our identity and who we are as a queer people, as a person living in the world on our own, quote unquote, college kids aren't necessarily on their own, but they're out there on their own for the first time. And you, that grounds you in who you are. And if there's that delayed start, I don't know what, I don't, I don't know how it impacts you in the future or the decisions you make or whatever, you know? Another thing that sort of, um, worried me about the future and this is something i think a lot of people would disagree with me on but like i when i hear stories of a a lot of companies choosing to let people work from home Mm -hmm. from here on out uh of course for lots of folks who don't like commuting or whatever this is like a godsend for people who want to spend more time with their family this is great but for me i'm like i've always liked my coworkers. maybe i just got lucky I, I've, I've also been fortunate. I've never really had a terrible commute, but sort of like the like a huge part of my social interaction has has been stand up and then work. 
Like mm-hmm. I'm, I maintain relationships with lots of old coworkers, coworkers of mine. And I think that's the case with oh my God, tons so, so many of, straight people meet and get like so much romance happens between straight people at exactly. work. Yeah. I mean, that's how my brother met my sister-in-law. And so you're, I, I have moments where I'm like, if I, I, I don't know how really that's going to escalate, whether it will genuinely become like a full bore, like, like trend where people start Gen, like I mean, it'll be a huge cultural shift if that actually happens. But exactly, I've thought about this. Uh, it, it kind of worries me that, like, what what would it be like if you don't have a, a passion, a, a thing that you do at night where you meet a lot of other folks or whatever? Yeah. How do you fucking see anyone? It's really, I mean, it's so to me that's the same conversation that we have about like you know the closing of gay bars, not just because of the pandemic, but before that because of like grinder and stuff, like. We don't yeah. need to necessarily go out and do the social things in order to meet the because of the internet and because of technology and the d- advancements in technology. And so right. there is a really interesting shift happening for a lot of different reasons because of, you know, how, or there's a lot of, there's a shift in how people are socializing and interacting with people and connecting with people. And for me, what I hope it does is it like, ups the ante and people getting involved in different things and taking part in different things. Cause like I've always worked from home. I think I maybe worked in an office for maybe five years yeah. and the rest of it's always been from home. So I've always way before the pandemic have been a remote worker and I love it. I thrive on it because then mm-hmm. when I do go out and do things, when I see friends, it's sort of, it, it almost, it almost it like gives me energy to go out and do something. You know what I mean? To get out and go to the mall or go see friends or go to dinner or do something. I don't know. I, I, there's no doubt that I think a lot of people would would have the same response that you did, and I. But I worry about the third, the quarter, the half that doesn't. Yeah. That you know might be hermetic uh, prone, yeah. and as a result of not being forced to go. I mean, look at look at the look at what the pandemic does. I'm a really social person, mm-hmm. and now it's taken me months to like ease back out of my shell. Every time I make plans. I, like five minutes before I leave, I'm like, oh, just cancel. Yeah. <laughs> well, we went out on Friday night and I mean, you got so drunk. You took your top off. You pissed on somebody. I did. I, mean, I did. Was, I pissed. I pissed on no your, idea how on to your be in salad. Yeah. <laughs> and you still ate it. Which, and it was a delicious. Was, I didn't know it wasn't a balsamic vinaigrette. <laughs> that's how no you idea. know the pandemic is really fucked with our heads. You ate the piss Cobb salad. Pee on me, baby. <laughs> All right, let me, hold on. Let me turn on my oven. I'll be right back. <laughs> we should also keep in Brent saying, "Let me turn on my oven." After you say, "Pee on me, baby," <laughs> he doesn't respond. Not even joking. Our guest today, I feel like I know him well, although we've never met in real life. But I, but on Twitter, we have engaged frequently, and <laughs> um, and I'm so glad to see you in sort of real life here on Zoom. Jay, Jay Jordan, how are you? I'm so good. Thank y'all for having me. I do tweet a lot, but we can't all be perfect. So no, I'm we very- can't. But your mm-hmm. tweets are little nuggets of joy and perfection. Not always joy, because you're 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 sometimes very blunt and direct. So I would say. Your tweets are very um, active and alive. Yes. I, <laughs> some people think it has to be like the boys' middle school bathroom of mm-hmm. the internet, and it doesn't. Yeah. No. I think there can be like levels to it. But if you do want to be disgusting and base, you can also do that. We don't yeah. judge it. I, yeah. I was just saying this to, to, to you guys actually on Friday. I, I saw little peek behind the curtain. I saw Elliot and Alan on Friday, but we were we were talking about how Twitter has become just egregiously graphic. Where I have 
I have this fake Twitter account that I use to like troll hot guys and uh, and I, I follow a bunch of other hot guys, so I don't follow let's comedians. Just say, I just let's say, let me just clarify for Brent's sake and for the internet's sake, mm. he's not trolling hot guys, he's just following hot guys so he doesn't have to follow it under his this, real name. There's no trolling so, involved. This is an alt, it's it's like it's an alt, it's an alt, but I'm following people I wouldn't normally follow, and their the feed is literally makes me blush. It's, it's just, just buttholes, people, butthole, 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 I mean, butthole. but not even pics, it's like the most. I won't even say it on the podcast because it's such graphic descript like descriptions of gay sex wow. and like gay sex memes. It's insane. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's so it's become so over the top. Gaping buttholes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, the no, way I they talk is just. Uh, it, it's almost like the the. We I mean I, we used to be annoyed by like thirst traps mm -hmm. and that feels so quaint to me now because everybody's basically like, I mean it's, you know it's like people talk about like holes and stuff and it's just yeah it's so graphic lube stains on furniture it's like <laughs> jesus christ yeah. no, and lube stains on furniture that is the pg version you're right yeah exactly yeah. i just did a pg i mean literally like three times a day i like spit my coffee out because I'm, mm -hmm. I'm i'm just going through twitter and i'm just appalled at what i just read it also it also did betray a lot of people's sort of vaccine and pre-vaccine paranoia because mm -hmm. there were people in my life, both physically and digitally, who I knew last year, and some of their primary account stuff would be very safe, cautious, mm -hmm. optimistic, but a bit shamey. But the alts, no. pants down. Or the, the close the friends. friends. Or the close, the close friends. The close yeah. friends. Yeah, the close friends is when you know, because A, it's, it's sort of the perfect recipe for uh, the internet in that you can't, when you see someone post a green circle, you can't not click on it because, well, in the gay world, if the green circle exists, it might be a butt or it might be <laughs> yeah. like, it might be something naked or it could be like a political message they don't want to share on the main Ooh, thing, which is awesome. what I often do that. That's how I use my close friends is that I, <laughs> I, I don't, I don't want to like separate the world. So I put my political stuff on the close friends and I keep all the drag stuff on the main. Cause that's, the fun. <laughs> that's, that's, sure. that's the fun. Very heroic but, of you, Alan. But Jay, you, I mean, I will say this about you and I enjoy them and I like every single one. I think I've even retweeted a few. You are not afraid of a thirst pick, but you don't co-opt your thirst pick. This is what, when Elliot said we were annoyed by by like the thirst picks, you know what I mean? It's mm -hmm. more like we get pissed off when people co-opt like a political narrative or something. Thirstivism, basically, where they, <laughs> well, the, yeah, well, they'll, well, well, they're like, they, they'll like post this naked picture of themselves or pseudo naked picture. And they'll be like, well, they'll literally, a white guy will stand there half naked and be like, black lives matter. Now that I black, got your attention. Yeah, right, right. And it's like, we didn't need you to do that to get our attention. You could actually just say black lives matter. Like that's right. all, like, that's all you need to do, dude. And, but right. you don't steer away from the thirst pick. You're very forward and blatant about it, which I appreciate and love. I think, um, uh, what happens with those people is that they think that there has to be more to the picture than it is. Mm -hmm. They're scared that people are going to say, oh, you're dumb, you're vapid, you're shallow, you're empty. Right. Um, which they are. Which, and some of them are so allowed to be. That yeah. I mean, if that's how you get your paychecks, if that's how you get your free merch, like, mm -hmm. do that. Mm -hmm. But to dismiss, like, the legacy of anti-Black racism in this country and to try to, like, simplify it down to, like, me looking at your Adonis belt or your devil yeah. horns like mm -hmm. that 
Bye. That don't make sense. Bye. <laughs> my also, favorite was my favorite still remains <clears throat> this one summer. that I've seen. What's that? The summer one. Waiting for summer. Uh, oh no, no, no! My favorite was this guy who a white guy, very clearly gay guy, who held up a sign that said Black Lives Matter and then sang the Star Spangled Banner in this like very uh, uh, earnest musical Broadway way, where it was like. This doesn't feel oh, unreal. To me. Yeah, <laughs> unreal. There, there, I did. He, does he not know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I don't, I don't know. think I... you have to personally know Colin Kaepernick to know that seems yeah. to be like a budding up of interest. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. It's de- <laughs> yeah, yeah. It doesn't I don't make think sense. He knew, yeah, and that's the thing that I think. I mean. I'll, there is nothing wrong with being basic. Like you don't have to yeah. do anything to stand out in this world. Alan, you, there's Alan, nothing wrong with it. <laughs> I screamed this at someone because they think that gay men and queer people in 2021 have to reinvent yeah. the wheel. Like, no, <clears throat> no, be basic. It's fine. What, mm-hmm. Like, what? what is that? It's yeah. like gifted classes on forward. Like a weird thing happened when people were like, oh, I don't like this. I was like, Pop- popular music? Y- you don't like it. <laughs> popular music. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. okay. Cool. Yeah, it doesn't, it blows me, it blows me away when like, like I get it. I get what we all do for a living is begging for attention. That is what we do. <laughs> that is like fundamentally what we do. And that creates a f- certain type of sick person to do and pursue that for a living. <laughs> like we are sick, weird people, right. but because of the internet and because of gay culture, I think in a lot of ways, everyone wants to stand out in their own kind of special way. And they're terrified of just existing in their own self. And that self might just be basic. It's fine. You have abs. We don't need to see them. Go be a doctor. I don't need to see your COVID message. Mm-hmm. A, a, the doctor with abs who also does a TikTok video telling you the top three surgeries you should get before oh. you're 18. That yeah, one, whenever one I start to sleeve. see <laughs> that kind of stuff, I'm like, Jesus. that's not something you actually saw, though, yeah. is it? No, I, I did see a, uh, a plastic surgeon say uh, these are the top three procedures that teenagers should get or that te- mm-hmm. they advise teenagers to get. Oh, wow. no. Yeah. Oh, that, no. Is, that is a bummer. There's all of those on TikTok. <laughs> they have a slew of doctors and they're always like kind of like hot adjacent. Like there's something yeah. wrong with them, but like right. they're kind of hot. And yeah. they have these things about like what you should do or what you shouldn't do. And it's like, I oh I, I support Obamacare. I don't need you telling me this. I now have insurance to have a doctor. Like I don't need this this exchange on TikTok, sir. Right. Oh, and they'll do, they'll do the other thing is they'll do like a deep dive into a celebrity's yes. like plastic surgery history, oh, well. which is gossipy well, and like yes. gay people love it. But then imagine being yeah. even like a I guess a patient of theirs and being like, mm-hmm. oh, I don't. Wow, you like? Yeah. Am I gonna be on the TikTok? Yeah, which oh, I you mean, mean like yeah. the, the anonymous photos. Well, yeah, when they show, they show, yeah. they'll be like, "Now this boob job, I'm very proud of this." One. <laughs> very, wow. It's wild to me. I, that actually, well, I will say, my dick has been on German television for a reason. That's right. You brag because, about that a lot. Yes, right. and I did it, and so I'm, I'm one of these people now. Where the doctor who did my, I had like testicular cancer. The doctor who did oh, my surgery. Bragging. 
they, they this documentary film crew filmed my my whatever and so my dick was on television as one of these examples that you're mentioning oh basically oh my god i did so, not know you too can be famous jay that. because of your <laughs> dick problems i mean i don't know if you ever have a dick problem i don't know if he said he had a problem but yeah get a, yeah, get a yeah. doctor to take a picture of it do you <laughs> do we all think people can recover from dick pics now the way everyone can recover from boob pics when they leak. Oh, interesting. I think so. I, I think, think so. Anybody, who cares? I, I guess I didn't know anybody. Care. I yeah. think it feels so like stayed at this point yeah. that, as Brent has said in the he said many times that in the future, it won't even. I mean, it's barely a thing. Like everyone's gonna have them out there. That it'll all yeah. it'll be so common mm -hmm. that it won't even be remotely shocking. Yeah. Post Vanessa Hudgens and post Jennifer Lawrence scandal yeah. is I think the line. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Too. It That's is sort right. of this ubiquitous sort of culture that like, I mean, Googling a celebrity and naked behind it is something that we've all done, that people do, that is a regular thing now that people just, it's a part of the Google experience. If you look at Google Trends, like that is a thing that people want to see. So much so that they have to avoid it whenever celebrities do that. These are the top 10 things people Google about me. It's like, your dick is yeah. the <laughs> I don't know. Michael Fassbender, a lot of people love Magneto's helmet. Like, let's get yeah. to it. Yeah. Mm. You were great in the things you were great in, but I only know you from the one picture. <laughs> oh, actually, the one gif of you walking out of the bathroom. That's all people I know. Go, did, so did you enjoy Shame? How, it was a movie? I, I mean, <laughs> that was a movie. So before we go on, I do want to say Jay is a fantastic comedian. He's been he's written for The New Yorker. He's had stuff in McSweeney's. He's been on Colbert, Fallon, like all of the good things. A really, really funny comedian based in New York City. But you're originally from Mississippi. Yes. Which like that. Whenever I talk to people from the South or from the Midwest, I'm from the Midwest, Prince from the Midwest. There's sort of that whole like we escaped. You know what I mean? Like you escaped yeah. that that place. Do you feel like you escaped or... Do, 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 you, do you love where you came from? I love Mississippi. I don't think I would be as funny, as pleasant, as engaged, or as curious if I wasn't from the mm -hmm. South. I'm definitely steeped in sweet tea. I was in Mississippi <laughs> mm -hmm. all the way through undergrad, spent another two years getting a second undergrad degree, and mm -hmm. then left Mississippi to go to Alabama. I was in oh, Florida. Wow. I was in Tampa for a summer. If that Florida. Counts. Oh. Yeah, I worked at Bush Gardens. I was, oh. um, y'all know about summer contracts. And then <laughs> I, and then I went to New York in 2015. So the South made me investigate things way faster. So many people have this national dialogue concerning race, mm -hmm. when in the South, it's inescapable, especially as a black person who then like discovers their other marginalized identities. Like you kind of have to talk about it. Like I went to Ole Miss, like yeah. in 1963, a black man tried to do that. And they were like, no. And JFK was like, I'm gonna send the National Guard. And they were like, still, no. Yeah. Wait, not... So I guess I would stereotype Ole Miss as, as being, you know, even though you went obviously in the aughts or whatever, I would stereotype it as being a really conservative school. What was it like? I mean, were you out yet? Like, I was not aware or bit, I just didn't know how to articulate my queerness. I definitely mm. was queer and was questioning. I didn't hook up with a guy until I, until like I was a theater major. And that's like so ham-fisted yes, I mean, and on yeah. the nose. But Could that's you be more you basic, have, Jay? I kissed my first boy in, I want to say costuming. Like, yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> right. 
right? right between the corset and the wig you were making yeah. out and getting a boner <laughs> i was like restoration Ooh. um so there <laughs> there were a lot of parts of it that were very conservative but when you're in the mm-hmm. south that's such a weird word because if you're conservative there that means you are so far right like, because the a lot of Southern liberal people are very conservative. Like a Mississippi right. Democrat looks like a New York Republican when it comes to some financial stuff. So mm-hmm. there well, was even a social a, stuff too. A lot of social, social stuff. stuff as well. yeah. it's, I mean, it's what John Ossoff and Raphael Warnock had to yeah. do as far as like figuring out what the middle looks like mm-hmm. for Southern Democrats. And maybe you can be more progressive. But I didn't even have the ability to like look at language and look at my like my space in that way in what like 2008 like mm-hmm. i didn't know i was by i was still buying raffler and polos because kanye told me to like it's not <laughs> right mm-hmm. <laughs> so it was conservative in that sense but i was a black person so when you're black in the south you know what people mean when they say democrat mm-hmm. you have all these dog whistles that you're already aware of probably like around 16. So mm-hmm. when you, I was an English major, when I became a theater major, like I was in this like kind of cute enclave. And mm-hmm. then when I went to Alabama for grad school, I had a bit more power and agency because I was a graduate teaching instructor. So mm-hmm. then when I'm teaching people about satire, when I'm teaching like a humor course, when I'm talking about uh, <clears throat> uh, Lorraine Hansberry to white mm-hmm. students in Alabama and they don't understand what housing does to black people in Chicago in the 50s, yeah. mm-hmm. then I can investigate those things further. But I was probably, I mean, I was probably like left of center. Uh, mm-hmm. But it was, yeah. I mean, it was a learning experience and I'm happy mm-hmm. I had it. How yeah. did you make your way into comedy then? From, yeah, what from there to New York? Oh, um, you don't have any autonomy as a non-musical theater black person uh, when you come to New York. Mm-hmm. You you really don't. They go, you're going to do commercials, you're going to do TV, or you're going to do classical stuff. And if there's a play about the 60s, mm-hmm. we <laughs> might have something for you. <laughs> we might, do you have a good Martin Luther King? Yeah, but can I just like, do other stuff? I don't know about that. Um, so... I didn't go to like this big, I didn't go to Yale. I didn't go to Mm. Juilliard. I didn't go to like Carnegie Mellon. I went to Ole Miss in Alabama. And Alabama has produced some amazing musical theater people. Mm -hmm. That Nick Rashad Burroughs went to Broadway, Michael Lawaye. He played Hamilton in a matinee and then played Burr in a night performance. Mm -hmm. Like I want to say four years ago. He was the first person to like basically Jekyll and Hyde. It was insane. Wow, yeah. yeah. Those are people, I, those are the black guys I went to school with. Musical theater deities. So when I came here, I signed with a theatrical agency that didn't know what to do with me because I was just, I was a very funny black guy who had sung, but when you gonna send me to a Lola call for kinky boots, I'm wearing <laughs> Nikes. I'm just right. like, it's not. Yeah. I, there was one Dream Girls dance call where I showed up late and they were like, um, do you want to go the next round? I was like, no, I'm I'm only here because I told my agent I would be, and then I just left. And so <laughs> I just wanted to have a bit more agency. So I started f- trying to go. Oh, like what can I do? And I would have these stupid Facebook and Twitter back, back, back before Facebook was Facebook, Facebook. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. So I would have these rants, and one of my friends said, Jay, stop writing so long for free on Facebook and submit something to McSweeney's. And that was Mm -hmm. one of the first things I did that I got. And that was like 2000, I want to say 17. And Mm -hmm. so then in addition to that, I wanted to use 
some of the things I had done in grad school, like this one man show that was really just a long stand up set with a few like, uh, I guess like elements that had pathos, but for mm-hmm. the most part, it was just funny. I wanted to use that. And so I started going to open mics and I told my agent at the time and they're like, that's cute. And they never supported or even appreciated my comedy, but they did get me a gig. I was in a, I want to say Avion tequila commercial where I had a line and my line was, so it's just, it's like, (laughs) your line was a point for the listeners. Yeah. yeah, You were just pointing. Yeah. Yeah. I was just like, Mm-hmm. So it was it was it was one of those things where I wanted to be able to move my own pieces, create and kind of like control a bit of my trajectory as an artist mm-hmm. in New York City. And well, stand up like was you... the only place to do that. And what is I mean, I think we talked about this with um, Larry Owens because he did a similar thing. I mean, he's like a, the- a bona fide theater actor. An, an made... award win, a drama yeah. award winning yeah. dude. Yeah. But he also <laughs> made a turned... theater actor. <laughs> Yeah, he's amazing and he started doing stand-up too and i'm like how do you like i i i just it's so hard to bridge the gap between st- comedians and then like broadway people there's such different well because like, broadway mean, really, people are douchebags let's a, just be real but if you're like, not but if you're not a performer but if you're not a performer <laughs> and you don't know it's hard to explain that like theater people are so different from comedy yeah. people do you, but do you, i will challenge you to think about it this way. My set is a script and I like try to fully enliven and interact with that text in a way that can be kind of crunchy and granola-y if I say, oh, like sonically, I wanna do this here Mm -hmm. as an an actor, actor. But as a comedian, I also wanna make sure that it's very funny. And then the other thing is that as a comic, my consistency and my repeatability is just as important as an eight show a week play. It's the same. There's going to be new wrinkles for me because I do get to change things. But my Tonight Show said I had to run that seven times in a weekend. And Mm -hmm. the booker had to get a recording of each one and tell me what to take in and take out. So I just, I treat it a lot like it's a new work. It's, uh, it's in a, it's in a workshop mm-hmm. and it also helps me not to think, oh, this is different because I think a casual approach to stand up can sometimes betray the art of it and the theater and the theatricality of stand up. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So yeah. that's what I yeah. like to do to connect the two for me. Yeah. I think it's just a different, and I mean, a difference in sort of how, like, as a as a comic, I never think of how I deliver a joke. I just know instinctively, like, ever since I was a kid, just how to deliver a joke and yeah. the punchline. And it just it comes natural. And sure, that's a that's a trained thing that like you as a performer, as an actor, like Broadway theater person, would know that there's a there's a vernacular, there's a there's a cadence that you do to set up the joke, and you learn it, and it's a trained art. But as a as a Trained, stand not trained, but as a stand-up comic, it's like, well, I'm just talking. Like, I, it's just what I but do. Then like it's, that you know? means Alan's intuitiveness put him in like a very good space, and I think like it's a it's a mix of those two things because like people can intuit how to do comedy, and then people can learn and like also like kind of will away. Mm-hmm. how to do comedy and it kind of takes a combination of both i have a new like tiny throwaway joke i'm working on where i say that stand-up is theater for homophobes and it's just one of those things <laughs> that helps mm-hmm. me say okay like he, the, the worlds aren't 
so different that they won't ever meet again. And mm-hmm. Mike Birbiglia's stuff is very, it's very theatrical. It's one man yeah. show. You can dip into one man show territory with some comedians anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. I just, I think I'm just referring to like theater actors being like on <laughs> and comedians being like, fuck, fuck, like, <laughs> Elliot's letting shit. us know he knows some terrible people. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's well, no, it. That's I think it. a good example of it that just recently on the last episode of Drag Race, they had the roasting challenge, right? And oh, you had, can we discuss this? Well, we can, sure. I mean, it, it's not so much it, to me, it stood out so apparently the person who is a theater person and the person who's just a, they're not a comic, but like they're delivering how a comic would deliver it in that, you know, you have, you had Mick, you had Candy who were just kind of just reading and they were just, they knew how to, they talked and they knew how to hit their beats because of the way that they communicate. When then Rose gets up there and it is a theater person delivering a script that she wrote, that the jokes are just perfectly timed. And even every gesture of her, even like a weird like eye movement, she's like, you know, like that was like something she practiced and it's like, a comic would never practice that. It would just be and what that, they do. And that straight up is why I'm glad we're having this because I had a couple of debates. That's why <laughs> I was like, I was like, it's definitely Candy and Gottmik and then Ro- and then some space and then yeah. Rose. Maybe even Candy Gottmik, Nina West, and then Rose. Yeah, it yeah. was I mean, in a very in a very like I love to uplift and affirm people who are mm-hmm. doing the work and you it's hard to be on a reality show it's harder to be on a reality show when you don't know if you're gonna have your grandma when you come back from LA mm-hmm. but got Mick and candy got Mick really didn't surprise me though because with the reading challenge I was like mm-hmm. got Mick got a good writer yeah she's a good writer but also it's sort of just like the, uh, what I think the difference between comics and theater people in that like, I don't think she's necessarily comic, but she has the the sort of rhythm of how a comic would deliver it in that she's very much in the moment. She's listening to the audience. She's reacting to the audience reaction mm-hmm. to her. And it, whereas a theater person like Rose- Rose is just, like, hello. Exactly. <laughs> Here are just, my <laughs> just delivered it. And like the response really was kind of irrelevant because it was just the delivery. Correct. Right. Uh, <laughs> this is my joke, my setup, and my punchline. Thank you. Yes. Like, it's all yeah. so rough. Thank you and good night. I'm going to spin now. <laughs> that, I mean, and just if you're going to leave on a joke, if the if your closer is Olivia Lux into Olivia Sucks, girl. Yes. No. Come I, now, 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 come on, Bye. baby. Come on. Bye. Ooh, I that's was not a clever wordplay. Have real? you been, when we were in New York, when I think the three of us were, Mortel Brent and I we were doing stand-up shows specifically and like open mics and stuff, there really was a divide between gay stand-up shows and like regular stand-up shows. You know what I mean? Like I, I don't know yeah, if that's still that, the case at all. That but divide like, st- still exists, less so in Brooklyn a little bit, but there right. is still a bit of a kind of like line of demarcation. Mm-hmm. And I I proudly am a child of both worlds. I understand some of the specifics and idiosyncratic, I guess like content that you can give a queerer audience mm-hmm. than a straight audience. But the divide is less so across the East River. In Manhattan, it is very clear. Yeah. Yeah, I remember. I would going, imagine so. Yeah, go ahead. What, sorry. What's the one on Christopher Street? What is that? What was that called? The Help Comedy Cellar. Yeah, no, not no, the Comedy Cellar. The gay, the gay place. Uh, You're thinking uh, of Duplex. Duplex. Thank you. And you know, I remember that's probably where I first started doing like the open mic at when 
RIP Poppy Kramer, who used to host it and run it years ago, she it was this thing where like gay comics would just go there to try out material. And it was a horrible room to do <laughs> anything in at all. It wasn't even a room. You can't even claw a room. It was a closet. It was a long, weird angled closet. And I remember thinking, standing there doing the jokes that I was like, this this feels very segregated. This feels very strange to me. Like the whole experience felt very strange to me. And then I would go to, uh, in the East Village, there was this place, I forget where the open mic was, something Lantern, I forget. Oh, the Lantern. Oh, is it the Lantern? The yeah. Lantern. And, yeah. and that was sort of like a mixed place, but it was also very straight, bro-y scene. There, yeah, because I understand the trepidation and the hesitation to go into a space that could potentially be dangerous and toxic to you but then there is i think there is such an amazing level of bravery but also commitment to stand up mm -hmm. and like flavoring that kind of like vanilla mm -hmm. space if yeah. you're a queer person because they're not having any positive they're they're not going to get any positive dick sucking jokes there. You know <laughs> yeah. what I mean? Yeah. Where, yeah dick, exactly. where, that, where it's a payoff. And that was something that like, I was can always. Can you get COVID from cum in your eye? Like that is like. <laughs> um, there's like a very, there's a very fun thing that happens too. Where like I see queer comedians that go, oh my gosh, okay. I can, I can be here and there. And mm -hmm. that's yeah. something that I definitely want to see more of. I don't love self-segregation. I do understand protection and I do understand like going to a supportive place. But sometimes, but case in point, I'm a black bisexual southerner who's left-handed. I'm never going to have an audience that's just me. <laughs> right? Yeah. Right. Yeah. So a little bit of empathy and a little bit yeah. of playing uh an away game as it were mm -hmm. is is fun yeah it's, i don't hate it yeah well excellent well thank you so much for being here it was a fun <laughs> chat you're very smart <laughs> the words you use are very big <laughs> oh no i can be i can be super dumb i mean no you, i know no, how I dumb i was today elliot like i i just talked about walking <laughs> home in the rain uh my, so we my just boy. finished a conversation on coming in the eye so like yeah. <laughs> i am low brown i just love listening to you talk because you're you're just very you're, i don't know you're you're so intelligent when you speak it's like i feel like an idiot <laughs> no you have glasses. Just so, i know but you're just so you're so nuanced in the way you think about everything and i'm like god i wish i well, had, had some yes of that. well that's because we live in a world right now where <laughs> yeah. people will i I mean, people could take anything. And this isn't yeah. me like pushing against woke people. This is me pushing against performative activism, kind mm -hmm. of in the vein mm -hmm. of a naked white boy being like, Black Lives Matter. And if you don't like this picture of me saying Black Lives Matter, you don't like black people. It's, yeah, right. I could say. Or you're homophobic. I mean, that's or another you're, thing too. And yeah. did you know black people are more homophobic than white? Like that kind of <laughs> yeah. shit that people it's do just, online. Yes. If I don't kind of give both answers, when it comes to like being a queer person in comedy, I feel like I am betraying some of the lucky breaks that I had. And I never, I never, I don't want some poor trans comedian to go into a straight room where every joke before it is like something that's like verbally yeah. and yeah. eventually physically dangerous and demeaning towards them. But I do want 
a queer person with friends to crush on a fucking bringer show so they can mm -hmm. get a check spot at a club and come up and show that booker that they deserve to mm -hmm. be there yeah. weekly. Mm -hmm. So it's a balance. So Jay, where can people For find sure. you on the internet? Yeah, you can find me at Jay Jordan. That's J Y J U R D E N. It's German, and I look it. Uh, <laughs> on Twitter, on Instagram, TikTok. Yeah. If you're 21 and younger, and uh, <laughs> and I and on Facebook, if if you want. But I mean, it's just my if name. you're 45 and younger yeah. on Facebook, yeah, or if you were at the Capitol on the sixth. Um, <laughs> well, thanks for being with us, and you have thanks access to Jay. the internet now. <laughs> They can sneak phones in prison. Yeah, they can. Oh, thank you, Jay. Thank y'all. And another thing. So this past weekend, uh, this past weekend, Little Nas X. Little uh, Nas X. That's the whitest way of saying Little Nas Little Nas. Little Nas. Flavor Flav and Little Nas. Premiered the video for Montero, Called Me By Your Name. Yeah. Uh, which is his new song. And the video just like, I mean, it, it, blew it really up. does feel like it blew up in a way, like it feels like a cultural moment, not just for him, but particularly for queer people uh, because it's so unapologetically hypersexually gay. Uh, he's basically in drag. He's in like leather boots. I don't know what you call like scrunchy yeah. leather boots, but he's wearing like those. He's like pole dancing. He's basically like- They aren't B. Arthur bottom. boots. They're not B. Mm. Arthur boots. No, they're not booties. <laughs> He's like grinding on Satan. It's yeah. just a visual whirlwind. It's really fun. And I really like the song. And of course it has like gay connotations already just by having Call Me By Your Name in the title alone. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it was um, about a breakup, I think, or like something that he, something, some relationship he had like a year ago. Yeah. I just I, thought it was super fun, but I, but I understand that it's like, oh wow, this is a moment. Yeah. But I also, Elliot, you and I were texting about this where, uh, it's interesting, not that I have the fin my finger on the pulse of the gay community per se, but I felt like Little Nas X, uh, Little, um, I feel like he had the, that hit, uh, Old Country Road. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Like that two was, years ago, I mean, it huge. blew up. Like my niece and nephew love that Still song. Still huge, yeah. And, but I felt like it didn't really enter, like to me, just in like my social media perusings, he didn't really enter the gay, the gay zeitgeist. But then just overnight, not that gay people didn't care about him, but he just, he wasn't like a, a consistent well, theme he, he I picked kind up of, on. I mean, he, people like sort of asked him on Twitter or he kind of outed himself on Twitter, not yeah. in a way where he was necessarily yeah, he said he's hiding gay as fuck. it. I mean, yeah, he's, he's like, I'm gay as fuck. Yeah. yeah, he just kind of was like, oh yeah, I am. And luckily, I mean, you know, there was like, I feel like there was like minimal, um, um, any pejorative reaction to it. He was just sort of unapologetically out. And he just kind of continued to be like flashy and fun and outspoken. But you're right, Brent. I don't think he was. Uh, I, I think just because he was gay, it didn't mean he had this huge See, I think following. Community. Uh -huh, I, I think. Right. I, I mean, I hear what you're saying. I don't think the gay community responded to him necessarily in a, you know, you're our new leader. Sorry, every other person. Right, right. Before, like, you are our new leader. You're our Elton John. Let's go. You know what I mean? Right, like, I don't right, think they had that right. response. But I do think that there is something and there always was, even when the song became huge, so uniquely queer about him and the way he came out. Because if, if you remember the first big thing, when the song became really big, the first real controversy around the song was that 
the country stations weren't playing it and it wasn't oh, eligible right. for a country American music award or whatever the fucking awards called. Even though and Billy so, Ray Cyrus. Is and that's what I'm saying. Track. So Billy Ray Cyrus and Miley Cyrus sort of backed him and he performed with Miley and he did other things. And there, there was a sort of a queer um, cocoon happening around him that was saying, you're good, you're with us. And in doing that, in Miley supporting him, it sort of told popular culture and the fan base, just because he's gay, doesn't mean you shouldn't like this song and this song. So pop culture mm. needs to now take over the song because country is saying, well, he's black. And now that he's gay, there's no way he's going to be in the country market at all. Well, and it sort of, it became, he sort of had this queer journey. And, and, and this video, Call Me By Your Name, kind of is the culmination of that journey, I think, in a lot of ways. I would, you know, I would the, say the, so too, yeah. The critique I've read is that a lot of people, I, I would say, most people will say he sings well, but he doesn't sound like me. That's that's his problem. Right, right. He doesn't so sound like, like me Sullivan. when he's, he it doesn't sound like Brent <laughs> Sullivan when he sings. Yeah. Um, but he is with this video. He is, I feel like, blowing up in the gay. Like <laughs> again, the the my fake Twitter gay, <laughs> gay, <laughs> fake Twitter gay feed. Um, because I think he, you know, he made a video that's like perfectly zeitgeist to you right now. He's yeah. He's super cute. Uh, he's in great shape, and he like looks really cool in the in the drag in uh, in that video. I mean, would, just, wouldn't you say yeah. so? Oh, fully. I think. I mean, I think gay people, rightfully so, should be waking up to him and recognizing that he's uh, uh, the leading one of the leading queer talents out there right now. But I also think it should be noted that like the explosion and the cultural moment that Elliot was talking about isn't because of the queer response it's because the the world sort of surrounded him and that old town road was so big that he had this massive fan base of the mainstream if you will that mm. now that he's going queer it's like what he's doing by queer people waking up to him it's like now everybody's waking up to him in a way it's like yeah. by him coming out it's almost like straight people found him first and liked him first and gay people were the ones yeah. that were late on the game. And, and now we're like, he's our leader, you know, like yeah, he wrote, yeah. he wrote an, on Instagram, he wrote a letter to his young self. Cause his, his name is, his birth name is Montero and that's the name of the song. And it's just a really touching, lovely, basically he was writing to his younger self about how he, he essentially never felt that he could be, this type of gay mm -hmm. um and i was i mean i thought it was delightful it was really touching it was nice to see that he was like i can i can do this like i can be whoever i want i can act however i want yeah um but i think it's yeah i think it's sort of a perfect marriage of timing and uh the camp of you know it's so yeah it's so i think sexy. that so i think campy. that narrative it's like and the the gender sort of conversation that we're having now i think is a part of that in that like even just for me, like, you know, starting to do drag later on in my career, it's like the, the embracing sort of that queer feminine side is something that I think is, is a really awesome, welcome new thing within sort of queer identity, like publicly welcoming it and embracing it and leaning into it a little bit and not having shame around it. And there is a lot of shame involved, even in the feminine gay side of things. And like... Yeah. I kind of like that there's a mainstream response, a positive mainstream response happening to it. He was sure, also there are very, assholes. 
yeah, he was very like he's so he's young enough that he's perfectly on on point when it comes to like social media responses. And he was yeah. like ready to go. And people were like, this is Hollywood brainwashing your kids. And some people were saying, like, he's a kid's performer. Now he's doing this. And he very quickly and very astutely was like, if you think this is the downfall of America, you should probably check out gun rights. Like he just yeah, very yeah. quickly, very, you know, very swiftly was able to just like knock out those responses on twitter it's like he's he's just good at what he does yeah mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. definitely so oh my god well we, yeah. we were waiting for that elliot but yeah, yeah he is. He's so, <laughs> well when so we were at, when we were at dinner the other night and i was comparing his lips to michael's lips like i mean it's true he is he has a he has beautiful beautiful lips and he's very he's very handsome but i don't think the response is because he's attractive which is the surprising thing to me I think the response. Well, it's a combination. Like, I I don't think it hurts. I, think that, that he, I, I don't think it hurts. This is the case with everything. It doesn't yeah. hurt that he's. But good he's looking. not leading with his abs or his, you know, the beauty, yeah, or whatever. Sure. He's right, leading right. with this sort of queer presentation, which I kind of love. Like it's so different. Yeah. It's nice. I kind of I love that one big long pony. That's pretty amazing. Yeah. Whipping around that ponytail or whatever you would call it. I don't even know what oh. the ponytail. <laughs> <laughs> I love when anybody, gay, or whatever you are, whatever gender you are. Elliot loves love ponytails. One, no, one giant, huge ponytail like that you can just like whip around. I, I think it's so cool. Wait, wait, wait. We need to learn more about this. Elliot has a ponytail. There's nothing to finish. learn. There's nothing oh, to learn. I just, I'm going to get like you one. a very long clip in. Very, very long <laughs> clip in ponytail. I have one in the back. I'm going to give it I don't, to you. I'm not saying I want to wear one. I'm just saying. You're going to wear it cool, and you're going to like it. <laughs> What would, what would your, your aunt, aunt say? Brent, what would your aunt Ramona say about something she heard on today's podcast? I still think the preeminent gay singer is Clay Aiken. <laughs> Does she like him? I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Uh, my aunt Joanne would say, you know, obviously I'm not into the goys, but if I were, I would never say no to Billy Ray Cyrus. Oh my. <laughs> <laughs> How about Aunt Anne? Aunt Anne would say, I heard people talking about Lil Nas X, but I thought it was a side effect from Flonase. I didn't know Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it was actually a person. (laughs) Lil Nas X. (laughs) Oh my goodness. Thanks for listening. I'm Elliot Glazer. I'm Brent Sullivan. I am H. Allen Scott. And Elliot told me to say nothing mean or bad or curse here. (laughs) We can't curse here. Love you, Alan. Fudge, 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 fudge. Thank you.